Happy Pentecost Sunday. And you know what that means. Whenever there's a holiday, it means things go on longer than what you think they're going to. So I want to just, if anyone's nervous, I want you to know, yes, we are going to go long. Can we all just breathe? <sighs> okay. If you need to text in, say we're going to be 10 minutes late to wherever it is that you're scheduled to go because we've got a sermon and we've got communion and we're not going to shorten either one of them, okay? Does that sound good? Hey, Matt, there you go. Finally. Thanks, Megan. I'm just kidding. All right. We are looking at love today, and this is the penultimate Sunday uh, of our look at the, uh, at the virtues that we are called to have as a people who are following Jesus Christ. And so uh, we are looking today then at the gospel of, uh, or at the first letter uh, of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And so I invite you to hear these words from John. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we give you praise. We give you praise for the joyful noise of our children, of our middle schoolers and high schoolers, for the ways in which they lead us and the ways in which they have so much to teach us. Lord, I pray on this morning, that you would be with us as we look at the subject of love, that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So love is a topic that has multiple 
pitfalls in it, but it is a topic that we love to talk about in so many different ways. The icebreaker question uh, for today or for our home groups is something that I actually asked the staff earlier this week, which is, what is your favorite love song? And, and, and when I say that, my guess is that there's a song or two or ten that kind of immediately come to your mind. I mean, we love to talk about love. Right? Which in some ways, of course, makes it a little bit difficult here because you already, as soon as I say love, you already have your own kind of preconceived notion and you're already thinking about what it means. And so it can be a bit of a challenge. And uh, someone has pointed out that there's probably no word that has been messed up, misunderstood, misused, or perverted as the word love. Not only that, of course, but we all know that while love may be something that is easy to talk about, It is a struggle to oftentimes practice, to really do. And this seems to be the problem that we see going on in this community here to whom 1 John is written. We don't know a lot of details, but we know that they're struggling with love. And a part of the reason why we know that is because they talk about it all the time. In this relatively short letter, we hear some form of love 43 times. In fact, in these 15 verses that I just read, nearly 30 times we hear the word love. They're struggling for some Reason. In fact, one translator says that really uh, John could have opened this passage by saying, Beloved, love one another for crying out loud. Just love. But they're wrestling with it. And so they're fighting within the church. There's disunity within the church. There are people who are leaving the church. Right? Thank God those kind of days are over. Amen? That was a joke. So there's a lot of struggle, but it's important to realize that in the midst of this, even though John feels very passionate, that he also loves this community. In fact, he begins our passage by saying, beloved. He'll say it again in the 11th verse. He says it in other times throughout the passage or throughout the letter, which he's saying, beloved, in other words, to you whom I love. Right? And then he also say little children. He calls them little children throughout the letter, which is not belittling or patronizing. Instead, it's kind of an intimate, tender um, um, title that he's saying, I love you so much, and I'm yearning for you to please start loving others like I love you. So why are we called to love? Now, I know that I'll sound a bit like a broken record here, But as in every other virtue that we're talking about or that we have talked about, this isn't just some kind of random command that some random guy named John says, you know what, we should probably love people, and so he throws that out there. Rather, it is rooted in who God is. In fact, right, John says literally, God is, God is love. Right? So this is not just something that, that, that he thinks is a nice thing to do. This is not just something that would be nice from time to time. It is who he is. And so John Calvin says that our own love should flow out of this fountain of love that God is. God doesn't just decide, well, you know what, I think I'm going to love today and maybe not tomorrow. It's who he is. I was, I was thinking about that. I was reminded it's a bit like gluten-free bread. Now, 
I know it's a little strange, but about a year ago now, my wife uh, was diagnosed with having celiac, which means that she can't eat gluten. So we've had to cut that out of our diet, or, or, or she has at least, which is kind of a depressing thing, really. And, and so, um, so we have, uh, we've had to endure, enjoy uh, uh, gluten-free meals, right? And I mean, it's been great. And some of them are really good, and some of them are not so good. One of the things that we've tried, and we've tried a lot of different ones, is gluten-free bread. Now, I know as soon as I say this, someone's going to be like, oh, we've got this great gluten-free bread. No, you don't. (laughs) You see, because the bread, right, I mean, it's not like it's the butter or the honey or the jelly that you put on it. The gluten is the bread, Right? And I know, I know, I don't want to, I don't want to offend you all. And I already, I ran it by Megan to make sure it's okay for me to say this. But what I'm saying is, it ain't bread. Right? And I think that's the way it is with God. Right? That, 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 that love, right? This is not just something that he spreads around every once in a while or he tries different things. No, no, no. It is who he is. And if he tried to do anything other than love, then he would be less than God right? It's who he is, which means, and this is why this is critical, it means that he is always loving, not simply so that that love will be reciprocated. He cannot stop loving. It is who he is by very definition. He doesn't give it sometimes and not give it at other times. It is who he is, which means if we are called to be shaped more and more like God, more and more like Christ, that it is a part of who we are called to be. But we struggle with that because most of us, right, we, we wrestle with trying to love people who don't reciprocate that love. Right? And this is something that's fairly innate. Right? My children, as they grow up now, I mean, I mean the, the greatest thing that they can say to one of their sisters whenever their sisters are being rude or mean to them is to say to them, I don't love you anymore. Right? And that cuts. Right? And they know. Right? And it's innate. Now, as we mature, right, we get more sophisticated. So we would never say that out loud. But most of us still live like that. And if you give us love back, we will give you love. But if not, then we won't. And what John is trying to say here is, no, 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 that more and more this needs to be who you are, whether it is ever reciprocated or not, but you love because God loves. Okay? Now, here's the other thing about love. This is the problem with love, is that oftentimes we keep it in this kind of fuzzy, ethereal, kind of, you know, nice, you know, little rough kind of, or kind of smooth little idea of what love is. And it's very easy to love if that's what we mean by love. But one of the things that we see here is that John says that love is actually tangible, that it has to do something. One of Megan's favorite books, and a book that I know that many of you have read by Bob Goff, says love does, right? Or if you were raised in kind of the evangelical subculture in the 90s in which I was raised with DC Talk. Does anyone remember that song? Love is a verb. Somebody, right? Love is a, love is a, love is a verb. Should I take this stump fiddle? No, there's no stump fiddle up there anymore, right? So love does something. How do we know that? Because John says that the love of God was revealed not when he just felt it, 
But when he sent his son, when Jesus came into earth and onto the earth in order to sacrifice, to be sacrificed for us, it was active, that love will always be doing something. Otherwise, it's just some kind of feeling, ethereal, fuzzy thing, and it doesn't mean anything, that love will always be active and doing something. And that's what we see in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the other part that's so critical as Christians to realize, which is that not only is it doing something, right, but it's doing something tangible in our real world. One of the things that's unique about Christianity is that Christianity has the courage to say that God himself came down to the earth and got caught up in the muck and the mire and the mess of our world, right? Jesus had dirt in his fingernails, that he smelled those who were less than pleasant to smell, that he touched the untouchable, that he cared for and listened and loved not just the people who were pleasant, but the people who were annoying, who were belligerent, who were always pushing back and frustrating him, that he loved everyone. And that's critical. Eugene Peterson says that if we just have this kind of fuzzy sense of love and it's not real and tangible in our real world, then it doesn't make any difference. It's not real. All of us can love our ambiguous neighbor whom we have never met or had a meaningful conversation with. All of us, the whole world, can love people who are kind and considerate and easy to love. But that's not who we are called to love only. Right? We are called to love the people who are most frustrating at times. We are called, as Peterson says, to love the spouse who we sometimes argue with, the teenager who always seems like he or she is angry, the neighbor who's always rude, the brother-in-law who may be insufferably boring. We are called to love everyone. And if we don't love them, then John says so gently, we are liars. That if we don't love even those who are insufferable, even those with whom we grow impatient, then we are liars and we're not actually loving. What that means, of course, is that this doesn't come easily. That it's going to take work. And so the question that we've always asked is we've talked about these virtues because it makes no sense in the world to me to talk about virtues that we should exhibit and then we don't ever actually talk about how you begin to grow in them is that it's going to take a long time. So what can we do, right? What can we do to practice this love? What can we do to begin to be able to love more and more even those whom we find remarkably unlovable? Well, one of the things, of course, and this should go without saying, is that we should pray. That we should pray for the Spirit. This is Pentecost Sunday. John reminds us of the Spirit because John says that the only way that we're able to do this kind of love is with the power of the Spirit. Right? And so prayer is this reminder that we are dependent not on ourselves, but on God who is love to help us to grow in that way. So we pray to the Spirit. Of course, another thing that we can do is that we can begin to meditate on passages that talk about love. We read a book as a session a few months back called The Good and Beautiful God, and it talked about how 
If you want to grow in love, maybe you should take out 1 Corinthians 13, right? Most of us are familiar with that. It's probably uh, the most well-known passage at weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind, right? It always trusts, always hopes, it always perseveres. And that maybe what you should be doing is every morning waking up and having like this one passage that you have, maybe cut it out. I remember actually when I was a kid, I was just kind of a uh, kind of a geek. That was my I was going to say a gird, a geek and a nerd. And so I I actually wrote out 1 Corinthians 13 on this paper, right? And had it on the wall and looked at it, right? And, and and the reality is that perhaps what you should do is look at that for 5 minutes. But here's the thing. Don't just do it generally. Don't just say love is patient, love is kind. Okay, that's great. No, no. Think about a specific person with whom you find it difficult to be patient or kind or gentle or to always hope or to always persevere with. Think about that so that you can begin to consider that all day long. Another thing, of course, is to do what we're going to do here in just a few minutes where we have communion and to begin to kind of to think about or to reflect on, to meditate on what Christ has done for us. Now there's one other thing, it seems to me, that might make us a little bit more likely to grow in our understanding of love and to be able to love in deeper ways. Now, this is a little bit harder for me to figure out exactly how to talk about, but, but it was precipitated on verse 12. Verse 12 of this particular passage, it says this. It says, it says that if we want to love God, right? If we love one another, then God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. Okay? The NIV says, the NIV says that if we love one another, that God's love is completed in us. Okay? The message combines those two and says if we love one another, that God's love becomes complete in us. Dash, perfect love. What does that mean exactly? John Stott says that too often scholars and commentary folks and preachers, they're reticent to actually talk about this passage because what it seems to be saying is that actually, if we love, if we love in this way that God wants us to, that we are completing the mission of God, that we are allowing his love to finally come to full fruition, right? As he will say in other places that when we love like that, when we reproduce that kind of love, then when people see it and see us, they are seeing God. Right? And I don't think that we fully understand that. I think that whenever we talk about up here, hey, we should be more loving, or whenever we talk about attributes of love like hospitality or, or generosity or forgiveness, I think that we kind of think, okay, that's a nice thing to do. That's a polite thing to do as a follower of Jesus. We'll kind of do it. And we have this incredibly diminished vision of what that is. We just think that we're doing kind of a nice little thing right here, and that's fine. And we miss out on seeing how it is a part of a much larger larger story, how this is a part of our vision is incredibly limited so that we just think we're doing little things down here. And God says, no, 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 no. This is a part of a master plan. Six months ago, maybe, a zpc was telling us a story about something that happened to them several years ago. 
I'm not going to say, I told the person I wouldn't say who it was, and I'm not going to. I will tell you that this person, uh, she and her husband, they have four children, right? Which in our area doesn't really narrow it down too much, so it's okay. I don't think you'll know who it is, right? They, it wasn't Scott, and it wasn't me, okay? And so about uh, several years ago now, they decided to go to um, uh, Amelia Island, I think, down in Georgia or something like that. And they went down to the beach. And they had already made their reservations, and they thought, okay, it was going to be great. It sounded like, you know, it was going to be a great place where they were staying, that there was going to be plenty of room, and that they were going to be able to cook and do all those things there in the room. So it was going to be great. So they walk in, they open up the door, and they look, and there's one counter that has a microwave on it, not great for a lot of cooking, and two double beds, and that's it. And they thought, we're going to be stuck here for several days in this little room. Right? And if, you've have, if you have more than one child, you know what this is like. Because one of their kids was in a pack and play, which meant they were going to be right there in the room. They are going to be trying to have that youngest child sleep. Meanwhile, you're going to have three other kids who don't want to and who don't want to be quiet, right? And so this is not a vacation, right? And not only that, but they were also worried about their neighbors, right? Because they knew that they couldn't, their kids couldn't be too loud. They knew their neighbors were right there. And they had this door in the room leading to the next condo, which you always know the noise always carries through those doors better than through the walls, right? And so they were not very excited. And for several days, right, they were living like this. And so they were always gone. They were always going places, which is fine, but it's kind of nice to come back to your room and have some kind of relaxation. And so they were always gone. And so this happened for several days until finally, like either the last day or the second to the last day, they were coming back, right, from someplace. And they were coming back, and, and, and they're going into their room. You know, they're going to unlock. And one of their children, as children are apt to do, she just kind of runs off, right? And she runs around the little bend. And all of a sudden, she gets around the bend, and she, she screams out, Hey, Mom, Dad, this door over here has the same number as the one that we're staying in. So they thought, well, that's, that's kind of strange. And so they go, and the key fits, and they open it up. And all of a sudden, there's this massive room with sofas, and there's a full-blown kitchen with a stove and an oven, and there's a door. And they open up that door, and there's the little bedroom they had been staying in the whole week. <laughs> See, I think that far too often this is how we understand these little things that we are called to do, like love or be generous or be hospitable. We think it's just something little that we're doing, and we miss out on the fact that it's actually a part of a much bigger plan, a much bigger vision that God has had from the beginning of time. So that when I asked the session and the staff, and when I've asked you, like, who knew have you met? You know, how have you been hospitable to somebody? You know, I'm not just saying it so that you'll feel guilty or you'll be like, well, you better go say hi to that person. No, 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 no. This is a part of a larger plan. And when you introduce yourself to somebody new or you try to deepen the relationship, you are showing people who God is. 
is. That's what John says. This is not just something little, right? We need to open up the door, take off the blinders, and see how this is a part of the plan of God. Right? When we talk about being generous, right? This is not, oh, Jerry's trying to make me feel guilty that I'm making money. Or, oh, okay, well, this is good so that we can kind of, you know, have money to, to have lights on in the building. No, 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 I'm talking about the generosity of God. Because when we begin to be generous, the door blows open and we begin to see, if we have the eyes, how this is a massive thing of which we are a part, right? Like I talked about two weeks ago, where some of the money that we get here supports people in Syria and in Egypt who are struggling and who have run away from war-torn places. This is not, when you put one penny in, it is going in multiple places to do multiple things. And if we had the eyes to see and to open up the door, we would realize that we've contained ourselves right here and there's amazing things happening for God out here. When I say let's love our neighbor, I don't care about whether or not that's polite or not. I don't care. I'm not saying it so that we'll be nicer people and people will say, oh, you know, those followers of Jesus, they're very, they're very nice. I don't, I mean, it's good to be nice, but that's not why. I want you to do it because every time that you love that neighbor, every time you do that, if you have the eyes to see, you are participating in this larger thing that God has in store for us. But all too often, we are content to live in our little hotel room with two double beds and a microwave when God says, can you please begin to see how what you are doing in these little things is a part of this larger, more beautiful plan? How might we be more joyful? Can you imagine those children? Actually, quite frankly, it was probably the parents who were jumping up and down on the sofas as they finally began to see how they could now begin to live joyfully. Our call, the reason why we love, is not to have good manners. It's because of the fact that we get to be a part of this larger plan that God has for us. We're not here on Sunday morning just so that you can have something to do or to kind of check off a list. It's because it's a part of the plan and the redemptive plan of God from the very beginning to show people who God is. And I'm convinced that if we could begin to see through that lens, if we could begin to push that door open and to see what God has in store and has been doing all across the world, that we would not only begin to grow, but that we would begin to grow in our love with great joy and passion. Sisters and brothers, push that door open and see what God longs to do through each and every one of